Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Okay, so this week I wanted to share a concept that I use every day with my patients. I also use it with my staff. I use it with my kids. I use it with myself. And it's um, one of the most popular concepts that um, I have taught in my coaching sessions, whether it's group sessions, workshops, or one-on-one. Um, and I think the reason it's so popular and easy for folks in healthcare to kind of digest and apply right away is it's really simple, but it's also really powerful and it's empowering to use both for ourselves and for our patients, which like spoiler alert for anything you hear me say, things that are genuinely empowering for us are also empowering for our patients and vice versa. Um, That's actually how the whole mutual liberation things work. So just if you want to know the theory behind some of the stuff I talk about, that's why it matters to me to humanize healthcare. It helps us feel better and it helps us care for our patients better. So anyways, (laughs) um, the reason that it it works, um, the main way to use it, I should say, situations where the other person, whether it's your patient or your kid or your partner or whoever, when they're asking you to do something for them that you're not willing or able to do. Um, So it takes a lot of the concepts of like managing expectations, setting and holding boundaries, valuing your work, and like makes it really concrete. So it's called the menu. Um, I actually got the idea from the parenting world, which is where I've gotten a lot of my richest, best tips of how to communicate with any human is like, the way that um, some of the newer uh, spaces for parenting teach um, how to communicate with kids. Um, Because we all just have tiny children inside of us that get upset from time to time. (laughs) So um, there's this person who um, she's like parenting, but also like specifically around like supporting parents in helping their kids eat and sort of feeding their kiddos because there's a lot of like really not great advice out there and sort of norms out there about like pressuring your kids to eat and picky eaters and all that kind of stuff. And so her name is Ellen Satter. um, And she had this concept about feeding your children called the division of responsibility. So the way she says it is um, there's things that the parents are responsible for and there's things that the kid is responsible for. So the parent is responsible for what foods they choose to offer the child, when they choose to offer these foods, so like when mealtimes are, where the child is fed, so where they put the food, you know, on the table or on the floor, I guess. And so that's all that the parent is responsible for. Meanwhile, the kid is responsible for whether or not they choose to eat what is offered and how much they choose to eat. And so can you already see the analogy? It's okay, I will spell it out for you in a minute. But here's the benefits 
of that being an approach to encouraging your kids instead of actually encouraging your kids to eat healthy or whatever, right? Um, so the benefits as they state them sort of overtly are that over time, the child learns to trust their like hunger and fullness cues, develops their own palate and develops like a trusting relationship with their body in relationship to food. Because sadly, so many of us, and it's been modeled so many places for parents to really pressure their kids and like bargain with them to just eat one broccoli and say broccoli's good and sugar is bad and all these things that like are honestly not very science-based and are just not effective mechanisms of actually encouraging a child to develop what we're, everyone's like endpoint is trying to be, which is like an openness to trying and eating many things, an openness to the food that contains the nutrients their body needs, not over or under eating, no disordered eating. Like that's sort of the goal. But um, along the way, a lot of ways that parents have been kind of pressured or, or have um, that they actually do interact with their kids ends up like kind of encouraging various kinds of disordered eating or a lot of stress at least, right? So that's why the benefits are this division of responsibility. So I already think that's amazing. And then even if that's not true, like even if they somehow prove that this model doesn't like have an impact on whether a kid ends up with a healthy relationship with food, like, you know, I'm not here to even look at the studies. I bet they're out there. But even if that wasn't true, um, the real reason this model is genius is that everyone is responsible for things that are actually under their direct control. Like there's so many other models of, you know, whether they're written down or at least like said to each other of like basically how you can force or manipulate someone into doing something that you want, whether it's like your kids into eating or like in the dating world, certainly between clinicians and patients, right? And so like, um, yeah, I just feel like that's actually the real genius. It's just describing reality, which is that the parents are not in charge of what food goes in the kid's body directly. The kid gets to decide unless you are still, you know, you're trying to like force feed. I don't recommend it. It's, you know, kind of abusive to force feed, right? So it's like, let's not do that. Let's have the kid decide what they're going to eat. But you get to decide what you offer. And so that's a way that you can still, you know, just uh, support them to try multiple things, all that stuff, right? Um, and so I love that model. And then the thing that I also love that I learned from parenting is like how to communicate that model to your kids. Cause like, if I'm like, this is our division of responsibility for your old boy, it's so strange that my son does not look at me with wonder and excitement. And so a phrase that I've heard a few different, like kind of parenting nutritionists say is that's not on the menu. So like my kids like, but I want a cookie. And if I have decided at this meal, cookies is not, not something I'm gonna offer, I can say quite simply, you know what? That's not on the menu. I don't even have to say cookies are bad or good. I don't have to like get into a whole explanation that they can argue me about. I'm like, I'm sorry, kid. I, it's just not on the menu today. Do you want me to put it on the menu in the future? Like you can have a conversation, but it's not on the menu today. No big, no big explanation, right? So what does this have to do with patience? I wonder if you can guess. But really, what I am proposing is a similar division of responsibility with my patients, between clinicians and patients. And it has been the most liberating perspective for both me and my patients most of the time. And even those that are suspicious, um, in the end, I believe it is more liberating for them and I can work with them. <laughs> so in my model, and I think in honestly just the way the universe actually works in terms of what I'm in control of, 
me as a clinician, I am responsible for what care I decide to offer the patient, including what options of care, when that care is delivered, and where that care is delivered. Like I get to decide if I'm doing home visits or not. I get to decide my hours, those things are under my control. And then what care I'm offering, I also get to decide. And then the patient is responsible for whether or not they choose to accept what is offered, how much they choose to participate in their care, kind of which is like the how much are they gonna eat? So how much they, they want of that care or not, how, how much they are capable and interested in um, interacting with the care I'm suggesting to them this week, this month, this year, right? So that means no more stressing about what when my patient doesn't do what I say. That's no longer actually relevant. So there's no more compliance conversations, which is so liberating because why was I feeling pressured to force my patients to comply to my wishes anyway? There are reasons for that and I'm not interested in those reasons anymore. It is not a good use of my time and energy. And to be honest, it usually feels very isolating, stigmatizing, pressury, judgmental on when you are the patient and that's happening. So you feel bad, your patient feels bad. No one actually, you know, if anything, people don't like to be told what to do and so they, it backfires. Very similar to pressuring your kid to eat broccoli makes it way less likely they're gonna eat it versus if you're just open about it, right? No more struggling to say no to requests from patients that are beyond my skill or capacity. Because instead, I, I have already decided and, and believe in what's on my menu. And so if someone offer, just asks me to do something and it's not on my menu, I can say, I'm sorry, that's not something I offer. I mean, you could even say, I'm sorry, that's not on the menu. But you can also just say something like, that's not something I offer. I'm sorry, but it's not, right? Um, no more judging myself based on my patient's outcomes, which were never under my control anyway, right? Because how much the patient decides to choose what I offer, no more decide, you know, I'm no longer responsible for my patient's actions where it, I never was to begin with because no one is in control of another person's actions, period, even if they're your patients, right? So now a patient wants something from me. They make a request. Um, one thing that this really shifts is that I don't feel them as demands anymore because I know what I'm in charge of, which is what I choose to offer, period. So nothing is demanded and forced out of me because I know what my internal menu is. So someone asks me for something, I check my internal menu, if you will. If the item is on my menu, even if it's not the top of my list or my first line, like if it's literally on the menu, if it's something reasonable, something I would offer someone else at some point, then I say yes. If the item is not on the menu, then I say no. The patient is allowed to feel however they feel about that. I can hold space for their disappointment. They're allowed to think whatever they think about it. They're allowed to look elsewhere if they are unhappy with it. They're in charge of their life and that's like so beautiful. It's empowering for them, empowering for me. And I am clear about where my power is, which is my decision to choose what, when, where I offer care, right? And so using this as a framework is so potent. If for nothing else, you'll start to notice what stories come up and get in the way of you deploying the menu yourself. So if you're like, okay, this is a cool way to think about it. Maybe I'll like try it out. And then you're like, oh, oh I can't because, you know, how do you answer that sentence? will reveal where your work is. Nothing wrong with where your work is. We all have work to do in terms of internal exploration, growth opportunities, time for reflection. So one thing that could come up as a barrier is, I don't really know what goes on my menu, right? 
if you're like, how does she know what her menu is? Can I have her menu? Right? We're so used to outsourcing our decision-making and our sense of the right approach, I'm saying in quotes, to other people. And it just doesn't work. Because like, there's three to 12 experts on any given topic, and they all have a different opinion of the right approach anyway, right? It's time we, ha- we take responsibility back over how we curate our own options, our own menu. Like our menus are always gonna look different from each other anyway. Like some clinicians offer joint injections, some don't. Most people don't have drama about that, unless you do. So if you're like, you feel guilty every time you say, I'm sorry, I don't offer joint injections. Notice how that comes up for you. Notice how it's a choice you're making to either, you know, offer joint injections or not. You know, if you're feeling like you don't have the skills, you could go get training and come back. But for whatever reason, you don't have to justify if you don't offer them, you don't offer them, right? And I find that people really don't have that much drama about that one. It's just so clear. It's like either it's in my scope of practice or in what I've decided to focus my practice on or not, right? Same with like, some people will do weight loss or obesity medicine. Some people will will not. Some people will be sort of opposed to those first people. Like, you know, there's all these difference of opinions about how or what we should even offer to patients, right? Some people will offer abortion care. Some are vehemently opposed to that, like on and on and on, right? Like if we have this sense internally that there's only one menu that we all have to be matching, there's an inhuman story right there that like, polling three other clinicians you know will reveal how absurd that is we actually all were trained slightly different and we have different priorities we have different skill sets we have different interests and we have different experiences so some of us have it's so funny ask you know five people who uh, treat hypertension in some way whether it's in the hospital or an outpatient setting it's like what's your favorite antihypertensive and like why and like everyone has their reasons and it's either oh I don't know my preceptor always used it and so that's the one I've always used or this guideline said I should do it and then a lot of them's that especially if they kind of deviate from say what a dominant guideline decided it's often like I would use that so often and then, then my patients would get side effects so now I've switched to this one like it's just based on our experiences what experts have said it's a real mishmash So why don't we just have that mishmash be what informs what we put on the menu? If you've tried putting something on the menu, you know, I've tried that medicine a few times and I realized it's slightly beyond my comfort level, my scope. I don't want to do that again. It didn't feel good last time. That's a great reason for it to not be on your menu. Even if you should or could have it on your menu, why don't you just put things on your menu that you believe in, that you are comfortable and confident in, in offering to people? Maybe your menu expands or contracts over time based on different training or experiences you have. Your menu could be different depending on your capacity for the day. Like, have you had days where you have a little extra time and so then you do a quick procedure that otherwise you would make sure they book back for? Sometimes I can think of examples of that, right? Oh, I have a bit of time now. Let's just do it now, right? So your menu will change day to day. And the important point is, checking with yourself and determining what your menu is and honoring that irrespective of what the patient wants or patient thinks about whatever's on your menu. It's yours to own and believe in. So another thing, another story that could come up that will like block your comfort with like using something like deploying this menu 
is that you think you're responsible for your patient's actions and results. So if you have been trained the way many of us have been trained to judge your performance, judge your value based on what your patients do or their health outcomes, like all the compliance talk, oh, I have to make sure my patients are well behaved. I have to make sure they're compliant with my plans. I have to try and keep them all out of the emergency room, a common one primary care people think, which is just absurd because what if half your practice has very unstable things that ought to be seen in emergency, right? But this notion of having to oversee and micromanage and babysit our patients, it's so harmful for patients and it's exhausting for us. It puts us in a totally losing position. And so the menu invites us to let that go. It can be a process. It can feel weird or wrong. Like we're like getting in trouble or breaking a rule, but notice that those rules are really harmful. So those are, now it's time to let them go. That's why we have the menu instead. And then the third barrier I thought of that can stop people from, you know, implementing something like the menu. And I'm not saying you implement it like you put up a sign saying, I'm implementing the menu. But what I mean is you try it as a tactic. You try it as a technique with patients. Um, The third thing that can get in the way of that is I'm afraid of how my patients will react. Right. So I'm afraid they'll be mad at me. I'm afraid they'll be disappointed in me or disappointed or sad. That's such a common reason that all of us don't do what we want to do. And it comes down to what I've said on previous podcasts, podcasts, regulating our own emotions, being willing and comfortable and ready to feel any emotion that comes our way inside ourselves personally. And then in doing that, you can create a a more open space for your uh, patient to experience whatever emotion they're experiencing over there on their side of the clinic room, right? So then you can say things like what I say to my four-year-old and what I say to my patient, where they're like, oh, I really thought you were gonna order those 10 tests for me. I'm so disappointed. And you can be like, I hear you. It is disappointing. You came in, you took the time, you wanted me to do this. It is not a part of my training. Sometimes I say it that way. It's like, that is not a test that I order. That is not a test that I am willing to order for you. I understand it's disappointing and it's a no for me, period, right? So just to say our fear of of, react, of someone else's reactions is us taking responsibility for their emotions and thinking we can control their emotions and we really cannot. So can we just hold space for them to be disappointed and still have our own backs, still believe in ourselves and what we offer enough to represent them honestly to other people, right? So those are the three barriers I can think of for implementing the menu. Now I wanna talk about other places in your life where you can apply this concept of the menu. Um, before I go into it, like I, I just wanna sort of illustrate a bit further exactly what it looks like in a room with a patient. So um, say I have a patient who's coming in and they're saying like, doc, like I just really wanna fix this back pain, so classic, and like I just feel like no one's doing anything for me. That's a really good one to use the menu with, right? So you can say like, okay, so let's review, what have you tried so far? And they say, whatever they say, you say, okay, based on what I'm hearing, and let's maybe even do a quick reassessment if you think, he's like, tell me, has anything changed with your back pain? Should I reassess your back? So based on what I know today, these are the options that I wanna offer to you. These are the options that are available to you from me, referral, physio, medicine, whatever. Like I sort of say, these are the options that are on the table. Um, I had a patient a while ago, um, not back pain, but similar, um, and I offered him 
the list. And he's like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. I've tried all the medicines. I've tried all the physio. None of it works. And so I actually said to him explicitly, like, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you see how much I use my hands. And I literally like turned to the side and was like, okay, so I just want to review again. So these are the things that are on the menu that I can offer to you. I use the word menu with him. And then I kind of Vanna White style was like physiotherapy, medication, injections, like whatever it was. Like, these are the things that I have at my disposal. What I'm hearing from you though, is you are not interested in something on this menu, huh? He's like, that's right. None of that work. I'd be like, okay, unfortunately, that's all I have to offer you today. It sounds like you're in so much pain. It sounds like things are really distressing. I really wish I had something else to add. Um, if you ever are interested in re-looking at this menu and trying something again or trying it a different way, who knows? It could be different this time. And he's like, no, I don't want to do any of it. No problem. I hear you. Thank you so much for sharing with me how you're doing. And I'm just going to honor the fact that you're not interested in something I have to offer. Um, how is there anything else I can help you with today? And I said it like, I felt so clear with it. I wasn't like saying it in a, in a resentful way because I knew he was hearing me. He was hearing my menu and he wasn't interested, you know, like he walked into a Wendy's and he thought he could get a Big Mac. I don't got Big Macs back here. <laughs> like whatever, you know, analogy you want to use. I don't have to be offended. I don't have to be hurt. I can say, I can still value what I'm offering and know these options or what I have to offer. I can also acknowledge and say, I wish, like, you know, I wish I had more. Acknowledging that a lot of the conditions we have to deal with don't have like obvious fast solutions. Sometimes there is an obvious fast solution and the patient's a no, and listen, that's their choice as well. But a lot of this stuff, like pain stuff, oh my goodness, like, you know, that's why I've had um, interviews on the podcast of different ways to view pain. And even then, like, we just don't really collectively have all of the solutions yet. And certainly uh, all of us that are trained sort of in the uh, medical system, you know, of the global north or whatever, like we have a certain framework that kind of ignores some of the factors that probably could help pain more and aren't funded. And so listen, we're doing our best with what we have. And this is what's on our menu. We don't have to defend it. And we don't have to put it down. We can just say this is what it is, right? So that's like an example, a concrete example that I use where I literally was like saying, this is the menu. Sometimes like people need to hear it even like with language like this is the menu. This is what I have to offer. And then I hear you if you're frustrated. I hear you. This And this is what I have to offer. So that's what we, that's where we're at, just being really explicit about it, not trying to pretend or overpromise or apologize. Just say, I wish I had more. You can say that. You don't have to apologize, right? And still just knowing that you are doing what you know to do, what you are trained to do, what you feel confident and comfortable doing. And that's what goes on your menu today, period. It's holding that boundary, but in a way that's very concrete for you and also and can be more concrete for the patient if you're using language like menu or at least explaining a concept in that like, here are your options, here's the concrete options, and this is what's on the list, right? Now, the other thing I will say is that there are times where I'm like, these are the usual things on the menu. And then the patient does say, well, you know, I talked to my friend or my naturopath or I read on the internet, this other thing. And it's not something that maybe I've heard of before. I have heard of it before, but it's not traditionally what I, it's not saying what my training is, but I've seen it in some context. I will consider putting things on the menu. I'm not rigid about my menu, right? And so if someone's willing, it's like, listen, I'm willing to try this. 
And if it's something I've heard of, but maybe it's like fifth line or it's like off label, but I've heard of it. Sometimes what I'll say is, you know, I haven't used that before. I'm going to you know, go away and look it up and come back to you and let you know what I think. If it's something I have used before, um, just because I didn't say it as one of my menu options, like I can add things to the menu, especially if it's something that the patient is then going to be engaged in doing. If, if you've noticed a common theme is like the thing, if I can get as close to what the patient wants anyway, I know that's going to have the most buy-in. I know that's the thing that they will quote unquote, comply with, like literally it's what they're motivated to do anyway. So if I can overlap my menu with their desires, you know, their list plus my menu, let's find where it overlaps and start there. That's the best. Sometimes it doesn't work and that's okay. You are still valuable even if what you have to offer isn't of interest. If they came to Wendy's asking for a Big Mac, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> you can offer them the whatever the Wendy's equivalent is to a Big Mac, but they don't have to say yes either, right? Okay, so then moving on beyond patients, you can use this menu concept with other people too. So um, other members of your team. So like with staff, um, I've done this with my own staff and I've also trained other like clinics and their staff. We've had conversations about say like boundary setting. And um, it's a really nice way instead of saying just a firm no. So for our frontline staff who are booking appointments and a common thing that happens in healthcare is there are no appointments or there are appointments at times they don't want or whatever. And so you could just say, sorry, we have no appointments, see you later, but it feels better. And it's more empowering and like in, in supportive of the patient to say, listen, we don't have an appointment for you this morning, but I can offer you an appointment at the end of the afternoon, tomorrow morning, or you can go to after hours clinic, like, you know, whatever options you want to include on that menu, you can be verbalizing those to the patient. And then the patient can say, no, it has to be this morning or nothing at all. Then actually the conversation's over. So you can say, Thank you so much for letting me know what you're hoping for. Unfortunately, we are we do not have appointments this morning. So if you're interested in any of those other options, please call back and let us know. Take care. Bye-bye. Right? And that can be the end of the conversation. There doesn't have to be back and forth. It's a way also to limit your like front receptionists from like taking on too much abuse. It's like it's a very clear way a lot of receptionists have found useful they can get behind the concept, you know, to offer, and then they can still feel good about it, even if the patient is unhappy and they can hang up, right? So that's a really lovely training tool you can offer to anyone who's doing that frontline work about, listen, these are the options. This is what we have. I wish we had what you wanted, but if we don't, here's some other options of what you could consider. And they get to decide. You don't have to stay on the phone to convince them if it's right or wrong. You can say, I hear you. It's frustrating. I wish I had what you're asking for. These are the options, take care, right? With employees as well. So if you're someone who's in a position of leadership or employing other people, or even if you don't employ them, but you're like the staff, like the team leader. So just, this is the principle of really like empowering liberatory leadership of like offering as much autonomy, choice, power to those that you lead, right? So if there's if there's um, a need for a shift in a policy, how much can you engage with your employees? How much can you offer them from a menu? I think sometimes we think if, if we have a menu, then it's chaos. But if you have like concrete choices, that's different than like whatever you want, no matter what, right? So we can have concrete choices and be in a bit of a negotiation to see if you find the one that matches for each person. With kids, I mean, I've actually already detailed that in general. So offering them choices, 
you know, it's bedtime. Do you want to walk up the stairs or do you want me to carry you up the stairs? See how both of those choices I'm willing to follow through on. I could own both of those choices. And either way, the kid's getting up the stairs. That's just a classic one. I think I heard that example from Brene Brown and I've used it ever since. Okay. And then the last person uh, I didn't actually put in partner. I'm sure there's ways you can offer choices to your partner as well, but for yourself, right? So especially when you feel like you only have one choice, then reminding yourself that there's a menu helps you feel less trapped. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if you're feeling overwhelmed with like a billion possible options, constraining yourself to saying, okay, just list every option you can think of, but then really focus in on what are your like top three or five things that you're going to focus on today. And then not letting yourself choose off menu. That can be a powerful tool for getting things done. So we can offer this menu for self. So it's like, okay, but I'm getting, I'd rather scroll on social media all afternoon, even though I said I would do X, Y, Z. So it's like, Joan, that's not on the menu. Or the amount of it is on the menu is five minutes. That's as much as you said you would give yourself on social media. (laughs) Real life example. (laughs) See, so you can be applying the menu even to yourself. It's a way of, It's a way of making more clear the image of boundaries, I think, in a way that doesn't feel so rigid and like, yes or no. It's like, yes to any of these select things. There's constraint, but there's also choice. These two beautiful qualities that help any human um, feel like they're powerful and an active chooser and participant in the process and also make it clear the limits of the person who's offering the service. And that is so sacred that those two things are critical for any kind of flourishing relationship, actually. So that's that's the topic today. In some ways, it's a simpler one, but it's so potent. Um, I would love to hear from you. Where do you see yourself applying the concept of the menu to your own life? The power of multiple but concrete choices is a gift to yourself as well as anyone else you're offering the menu to. It allows for a more effective collaboration and communication and can help you release that sort of control responsibility feeling we often have over things that are actually not our responsibility or in our control. This is work that's easy to kind of understand up in your brain, but is can feel scary or challenging to actually enact because of the reasons I mentioned before. We're scared of other people's reactions. We're scared we're doing it wrong. We don't know what we really believe. We say to ourselves, though, you know, I've worked with several healthcare clinicians at this point, and everyone does know underneath. Like, even if someone's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, we narrow it down. It's it's just shocking how often they're like, actually, no, I have a very clear idea of what I like and don't like. We all have it underneath. We just are afraid to access it because we've been rewarded for not accessing it and just doing what other people want us to do, right? So if you want support doing this work, um, I'm recording this and going to be releasing it in early April. And that's uh, so soon, um, mid-April, I'm going to be closing uh, applications for new clients um, for my three-month immersive coaching program, which is where I go through how to stop worrying about your patients. And this is one of those concepts. We can stop worrying about patients if we feel that we know we offered good value, irrespective of what happens to them. If we release responsibility of our patients' thoughts, feelings, actions, outcomes, and instead focus on our own, that is how we stop worrying about our patients. And that's a process that happens best if it's done with support, if it's done with other people. And I would love to be your person. So if you're listening to this and it's early April, 2023, 
hop on over to joanchanmd.com and see how you can apply to be a part of that program. If you'd rather have a test drive to see how our relationship is, you know, if we have a good connection, you can also book single sessions as well. And so I'm just really hoping to fill my spring with so many delightful healthcare humans. So if you've been on the fence in the past, this is a great time to hop in and work with me, work on applying the menu concept to your life because I'm actually not going to be taking new clients over the summer. So I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Ask yourself now, what's on my menu that I want to offer to my patients? Can I practice believing and honoring the value of that, irrespective of what anyone else thinks, right? Okay, take care. Have a great week. Hey there, healthcare humans. I want to invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.